Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome those of you joining us from our Farmington Hills campus and those of you joining us from places near and far. Uh, this month, we've been looking at the Christmas story through the angels of Christmas, and we've been learning a little bit about what the Bible says about angels overall. Now, every church tradition is different, but the tradition that I come from paid hardly any attention to angels at all, and for good reason. Angels are not the most important characters in the Christmas story. Angels are not the most important characters in any Bible story. Angels play supportive roles. They are there in the background. Uh, Angels never call attention to themselves. They're always pointing to something else or to someone else. Angels exist to glorify God. So if you'd rather not pay any attention to the angels, uh, that's okay with me. And I think it's okay with the angels. I think the angels would say, this is not about us. Uh, On the other hand, angels are mentioned or referred to almost 300 times. They're in the Old Testament and New Testament. Angels are interactive with humans throughout history, and they are to this day. Angels seem to be called upon by God sometimes to protect one of God's children, sometimes to deliver a message to one of God's children, and other duties as assigned. Uh, So what have we learned about angels so far? We've learned that angels are created by God. They're one of the creations of God. Colossians 1 says that God created angels. All things on heaven and, uh, and on earth. In heaven and on earth, God made things visible and invisible. God created all the creatures of the earth, and God created all the creatures in the heavenly realms. God created that which is uh, visible and tangible, and those things that are invisible and intangible. We've learned that angels are not eternal Unlike God, angels, as part of God's creation, had a beginning. Only the triune God uh, always was. Angels had a start date. They had a beginning, but we do know that angels do not age, nor do they die. Angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They know more than we humans know, but they are not God. They do not know it all. Angels are not omnipresent. That is, they're not everywhere all at one time. They are not God. And contrary to popular belief, people do not become angels after they die. Angels are angels. People are people. They are different created beings. What do angels look like? Uh, We've noted that ordinarily angels are not visible. Uh, Hebrews 1 says that angels are ministering spirits. Not physical bodies, but spirits. Occasionally, they will take on a physical form, uh, sometimes kind of incognito. In Genesis 18, Abraham is visited by three men, and they appear men, and they talk like men, and they eat like men, uh, but we learn later they were angels. And the writer of Hebrews says it is possible to entertain angels unaware, to be with angels and not know it. And a lot of you in recent weeks have told me about your possible angel encounters. We have other examples in the Bible of angels taking on a very impressive, unmistakable physical form, often inciting fear. We have zero examples in the Bible of angels appearing as chubby babies with wings. That's not in the Bible. 
And uh, we know this because the dominant response to an angel is fear. And I told the kids of our church recently that when people see an angel, often their first response is, ah, ah. Uh, it is not, ah, chubby little baby. They don't respond that way. That image that we often see in cartoons and art of a little chubby baby with wings, that does not come from the Bible. That comes from Renaissance art. Uh, some artists got creative. This is what artists do. They're creatives. And uh, some Renaissance artists got creative. Cherubs in the Bible uh, represent purity. Children also uh, represent purity. And, uh, and, and both are to us representatives of the kingdom of God. That's an artistic representative. Angels do not look anything like those paintings. Uh, on the other hand, I do want to point out that uh, chubby, bald figures can be representatives of God. <laughs> be kind to little chubby, bald people. You might be entertaining angels unaware. <laughs> angels having wings, also not from the Bible, but from art. Uh, the first time we see an angel with wings is a 5th century uh, piece in the Byzantine period of Gabriel with wings. Uh, Gabriel had no wings until the 5th century. Then if you move on to the Renaissance period, you see angels depicted almost always in the nude. What was going on in the Renaissance that everyone's naked in the Renaissance period? So angels gained their wings in the Byzantine period, and they lost their clothes in the Renaissance along with everybody else. Most all angel art is not based on the Bible. Now, there were some spiritual beings in the Bible that are said to have wings, um, and this, this is a matter of uh, maybe terminology, and this is where it gets very confusing because there are different kinds of angels and different kinds of spiritual beings mentioned in the Bible. And Christian uh, historic theology has tried to put those angelic beings into categories and even to rank them because there does seem to be a hierarchy in the heavenly realms. Uh, Pseudo-Dionysius in the 6th century and later Thomas Aquinas uh, were the first to suggest actually nine descending order of spiritual beings. They put them in groups of three and each with a triad of ranks or choirs. And they drew this largely from Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. This is classic angelology, angel doctrine today, nine levels of spiritual beings. The highest category is considered the seraphim. Seraphim mentioned in the Bible are considered the highest rank of spiritual being because they're always in the throne room of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the throne room and he sees seraphim and he sees these beings with six wings. That must have been quite a figure to behold indeed. That's maybe where we get the wings from, seraphim. Some people consider seraphim angels. Some say it's a different kind of spiritual being. Then the cherubim, also high-ranking because they are also in the presence of God, worshiping God. The cherubim is what God asked to, to be carved into the Ark of the Covenant. They hold the throne, the seat of God. Cherubim, we read about in Genesis, uh, that was what God placed in the Garden of Eden after the humans were evicted from the Garden of Eden, the cherubim were placed as guards to make sure the sinful humanity did not enter into the Garden of Eden again. So the cherubim were, were, must have been warrior, soldier-like, not, not, not little chubby bunny babies. And then thrones is another term mentioned in the Bible. That's the highest order. Then there's a the middle order. 
the dominions, virtues, and powers, all words used in Colossians chapter 1, and then the, the, the lowest order, principalities, archangels, and angels. So sometimes we use the word angel, and it means this low-ranking spiritual being, the one that's most human-like. And sometimes we use the word angel to mean the whole gamut of spiritual beings. Now, I think this listing of nine, um, the hierarchy of nine, is probably more clear than what the Bible actually says. When I teach the Bible, I don't want to be less clear than the Bible. I also don't want to be more clear than the Bible. And I think some of these words appear in Paul's uh, language, and they're never defined, and we're not sure exactly how it works. But if you want to study more, you can study angelology. A real word, angelology, the doctrine of angels, the study of angels. Um, But for many of you, you've already heard more than you care to uh, about angels. This falls in the more than you wanted to know category. Uh, So the story we're going to look at today is the most famous angel appearance in the entire Bible. The story we're going to look at is the most famous angel appearance in all of literature. It's the story of an angel and then a host of angels appearing before some shepherds to let them know about the birth of the Christ child. Nearly everybody in the Western world is at least somewhat familiar with this story. And if you're a churchgoer, even if you're a December-only churchgoer, you are very familiar with this story. The shepherds were keeping watch over their flock at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared and said to them, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this month we're looking at the story of Christmas from a different angle. Uh, we've said that the gospel is like a diamond always beautiful and multifaceted, and you can turn that diamond and look at it from different angles, and it always looks fresh, always looks new, always stunningly beautiful, and you will never exhaust the full beauty of it. And we're turning the Christmas story a little bit this month on a different edge and looking at it from the perspective of the angels, which I think is a perspective that most of us have not viewed this story from previously. What did the angels do in this story? That's the question of the day. What did the angels do? And we're going to see in Luke chapter 2 that the angels did three things. They went where they were sent. They gave the message they were given. And they glorified the God they loved. They went where they were sent. They gave the message they were given. And they glorified the God they loved. That's our outline for the day. So first, they went where they were sent. And this is what uh, the scripture says of the day. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The angel's not named. Maybe this is Gabriel, who appears a lot in the Christmas story. Maybe it's a different angel. We don't know. And why did this angel, uh, we, we do know this angel went where he was sent. And he was sent to the shepherds. Why was the angel sent to shepherds? This is a matter of speculation for centuries. Shepherds were considered to be the lowest rung of the ladder of society. Uh, Shepherds smelled bad, and they were the butt of jokes. Like this one. A Bedouin shepherd was asked by a tourist, um, 
about the, uh, how the shepherds do their work. And the Bedouin was explaining to the tourists that the sheep and the shepherds all live in the same tent. They all live in close kind, uh, confines. And the tourist asked, oh, they all live together. What about the terrible smell? And the shepherd said, oh, the sheep just kind of get used to it. <laughs> shepherds did not get invited to many social gatherings. And here an angel invites them. This is the power of this story. God bypasses Athens with its philosophers, Rome with its architects, Jerusalem with its rabbinical schools, and goes to a field to some shepherds and says, I want you to be among the first of humanity to receive this good news. The scripture repeatedly says that God stoops to those who are lowly of heart. And surely that's going on in this story here. But maybe the angel was sent to shepherds not only because of their position, but because of their profession. They were shepherds. And here we remember that Jesus is the good shepherd and that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. It might be these shepherds in the field were taking care of sheep who were to be slaughtered at the temple. You will remember that ancient Judaism had a deeply complex and symbolic system of sacrifice that uh, is hard for our modern ears to hear and to understand. And it could be because of the position of this field and its proximity to the temple that these shepherds were uh, taking care of sheep who were born to be part of the sacrificial system. And maybe God is saying this child was that we're talking about is born to be a sacrifice. This one that's being born will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when my lamb, God says, when my lamb is sacrificed, these, these sheep will no longer need to be slaughtered. Maybe it's a foreshadowing of the kind of king that Jesus would be. So the angel goes to the shepherds and they were obedient. And this is something we can learn from the shepherds. They're a good example from the, from the angels. This is a good example to us all. The angels are obedient to God. As far as the angels are concerned, it doesn't matter to them uh, who they're sent to. Whether it's a king or a shepherd or somebody in between, the only thing the angels are concerned about is whether they please the one who sent them. You and I don't need to be concerned about where we're sent or to whom we're sent only that we please the one who sends us. We please the one who commands us. So the angels went where they were sent. And just to be sure you're listening, what did the angels do? They went where they were sent. What did they do? They went where they were sent. Yeah. Um, secondly, they gave the message they were given. They gave the message they were given. Let's look again at the message they were given. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. The Shekinah glory. 
the glory of the Lord. This is the same glory that left Israel centuries earlier. And you can read about this in the book of Ezekiel, where the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, leaves the temple, goes over the Mount of Olives, and disappears as a judgment of God who says, I'm leaving you because of your idolatry and your sin. And now that same glory of God appears on the outskirts of Bethlehem. The glory of the Lord comes right there, and then the whole heavenly host come, and they chime in as well. Someone has, uh, has said, there is no place where earth's joy and sorrows are felt more than in heaven. The joy of earth is felt in heaven, and the sorrow of earth is felt in heaven. Notice the specificity of their message. Today, in the town of David, today, this is not old news, this is current events, this is happening right now, today, in the city of David, the city of David was regarded to be Bethlehem, Savior, Messiah, Lord, three words that communicate each something different about this child to be born. Savior, Lord, Messiah. And then this will be a sign to you, a very specific sign, so you'll know it's the right baby. Uh, not just a, a physical sign so you'll be able to find him and identify him physically, but a sign of the kind of king that he will be. This is a king that comes in humility. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Spurgeon says, All the attributes of God were in that little child most marvelously displayed and veiled. Displayed and veiled. So they gave the message they were given. What did they do? They gave the message they were given. Come on, everybody. Farmington Hills, help us out here. Well, <laughs> What did they do? They gave the message they were given. Yeah, they went where they were sent. They gave the message they were given. And then uh, lastly, they glorified the God they loved. They glorified the God they loved. Let's look at what the, the story says. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, and let's read this line together aloud everywhere, wherever you are, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, we don't know if the angels sang these words or said these words. I picture them singing, don't you? The old carol says, hark the herald angels sing. But even the title of that old carol uh, was hotly debated in its day. Uh, I'll tell you more about the history behind that song at uh, Christmas Eve services this, this, later this week. But the writer of that song in 1739 was, was uh, Charles Wesley. But the title of that carol was given by his friend, George Whitfield. And Wesley pushed back on his friend for the title of the carol because the Bible doesn't actually say that the angels were singing. The text actually says they were saying and he said, it doesn't say the angels were singing. It says, the, uh, a company of the heavenly hosts appeared and said. And uh, George uh, Whitfield, who gave the title, said to Wesley, lighten up, Charles. This is going to be a great song, and they're going to be singing this in, uh, in 2022. Hark, the herald angels sing. Now, whether the angels were singing or saying, they were worshiping. Glory to God in the highest heaven. 
This is yet another biblical example in a long list of biblical examples of angels praising and glorifying and worshiping God. God is to be admired and glorified, and the angels seem to really love to do this. Angels are not to be worshipped. Angels are fellow worshipers with us. And when we worship God, we join with angels and with all of creation in giving him glory. They glorified the God they loved. They glorified the God they loved. What did they do? They glorified the God they loved. That's what the angels did. Now let's look uh, briefly at what the shepherds did. What did the shepherds do in response to what the angels did? What did the shepherds do? This is what it says. So they, the shepherds, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told uh, them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So first the angels glorify God, and now the shepherds glorify God. They glorify and praise God for the things they had heard and seen. Hearing and seeing leads to glorifying this is the way it always works. Seeing and hearing God leads to glorifying God. Have you seen? Have you heard? Will you glorify? And the shepherds spread the word concerning what they had been told about uh, this child. See, the angels weren't the only, one, uh, only ones to give the message they had been given. The shepherds did that. The angels weren't the only ones to glorify the God they loved. The shepherds did that. The angels were good examples to the shepherds and to us. The angels, they went where they were sent, they gave the message they were given, and they glorified the God they loved. And we can do that too. I think the main lesson I take away from the angels is the clarity the angels seem to have about their role. Angels exist for God. God does not exist for angels. Angels have just one question to ask. God, what do you want me to do today? I exist for you. Um, imagine how freeing it would be to live that way, to have such clarity of who you are and to whom you belong and what your mission is in this world. God does not exist for us either. We exist for God. But we are usually more uh, focused on our own plans than on His. Now, we pray, of course, that God will bless the plans that we have already made, and we invite God to give us wisdom into our plans. We do that for sure, but make no mistake, they are our plans, and we are the center of our universe. What we need is a, a, a Copernican revolution. You remember Copernicus from high school history or high school science? He was the first person to suggest to realize that the earth orbits the sun and not the other way around as the people of his day assumed. He was the first to say the sun is stationary at the center, and we, the earth, orbit around the sun. And that discovery, in that day, revolutionized science. We also believe that we are at the center of the universe, 
and that God orbits around us, that God exists to meet our needs, to give us life and light and blessing. Um, But the Bible paints a different picture, that God is at the center of the universe, and we were created to orbit around Him. That we exist for God, God does not exist for us. And that discovery will revolutionize everything in your life. The one question we should ask every day, God, show me my orbit. Show me what you want me to do. I exist for you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I will glorify you in everything I say and do. You command me. So let us learn from the angels and from the shepherds and learn to obey and glorify the God who created us the God who loves us still. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the ministry of the angels who do your bidding. We thank you for the good news of great joy that they proclaimed long ago. We thank you for the birth of the Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord. Help us to find our orbit. Help us to find our place in you and to join the angels in giving you glory. This we pray through Christ our Lord. And everybody agreed and said, Amen.